Hi, I'm Trip. I spent the first part of the 21st century as a film snob, rejecting any sort of mainstream comedy. And I'm Ross. I'm slowly, film by film, taking Trip through the films he sadly dismissed or smartly avoided up until now. Welcome to A Trip Through Comedy, a podcast examining studio comedies from around the turn of the century. Trip, our exit today, has us vying to win a beauty pageant just like our hero, Diane Sawyer. We are here to discuss Drop Dead Gorgeous, written by Lana Williams and directed by Michael Patrick Jan. The film is a fictional documentary following the regional pageant of the Sarah Rose Cosmetics American Teen Princess Pageant, located in Mount Rose, Minnesota. Several of the local teenage girls are competing, including Amber Atkins. Amber lives in a trailer park with her mother, Annette, and works at the local funeral home and in the school cafeteria. But as the pageant gets closer, strange and deadly events start happening to people around the show. Suspiciously, it seems that the center of these events may be fellow contestant Becky Lehman, whose mother Gladys also runs the pageant. Despite numerous attempts to sabotage Amber's chances, she finishes second in the competition to Becky. However, after Becky tragically dies in a float explosion caused by cheap materials and her own mother lighting a fire near it, Amber is crowned the winner. It is also revealed that Gladys was behind all of the deaths surrounding the pageant. Amber moves to the state competition and wins again when the entire rest of the pageant becomes sick due to bad shellfish. When she arrives for nationals, she discovers that the pageant has been canceled due to Sarah Rose being in tax trouble. It is revealed that Amber eventually becomes a local TV anchor after she takes over for a local anchor who is shot during a standoff with Gladys, who has escaped from prison. So Trip. Did this film make you drop dead laughing, or did it fall flat for you? Ross, I appreciate so much of what this movie is doing, and I think it is a well-made movie. I really struggle finding anything funny in this movie. Like, it just... I understand why people love it. It just the humor does not hit me at all in this movie. And so I really struggled to make it through this movie this week. And maybe that's a fault of me that just, I can't get on this movie's wavelength, but yeah, it's to me, this is something of a dud, but I know you really like this movie. So sell me on it. Tell me why is this movie, the brilliant satire that everyone except me seems to think that it is. I I find this movie hilarious. It there's just so <laughs> many moments that you know just have me in stitches. Some of it comes from the fact that the person who wrote the movie, right? Lana Williams herself grew up in the beauty pageant world. This is something that she was a part of. She had been a beauty contestant, had one kind of I I think local areas. And so this script was clearly written with that kind of in mind. And to me, I mean, it starts with there. There are a lot of funny lines, but I mean, this cast is filled with unbelievably talented people all the way down the line. It is so impressive how many people they suddenly get from you know the contestants, which include Kirsten Dunst and Brittany Murphy and Amy Adams in like one of her kind of like first big roles, and Denise Richards, who you know is perfect in what they need her to do in this movie. To the the adults, which include Kirstie Alley and Ellen Barkin and Allison Janney, to me, it is a film that seems to not only be poking fun at this kind of beauty pageant kind of system, right, where it's all somehow fake. It's all somehow this, like, insanoid world that is corporate shilled and at the same token a way to kind of gain money from other people. And... Also, just this, you know, kind of set of kooky characters that are all around in this small town. See, this is where I disagree with you, Ross, because this is where the movie bothers me, is that I think this is just a mean movie. And that's because I don't see where it is satirizing the system of beauty pageants. I don't think that it really goes after the system or the world that has created this as much as it thinks it does. I feel like this movie, when I watch it, is just 
punching down on people from small town America, that the jokes are not about the system that they've created. The jokes are about these people. And there's some despicable people in this movie. There are some lovely people in this movie, but the movie doesn't seem to care that it just punches at them. And to me, the characters become punching bags in this movie for the jokes versus what I think should be the punching bag, which is the system that's created them. And the reason why we all, especially in the late 90s, love beauty pageants so much. So I think to me, the system isn't just the beauty pageant. The system seems to also be not so much the idea of small town America. I think it's specifically this – I believe it's a fictional small town. I, I don't mm-hmm. believe there's actually a uh, Mount Rose, Minnesota. I think it's also this system that we have with the Lehmans, and it's it's not – it's like a small town thing. But it's like there's some family that clearly has a lot of wealth in this community, and they are controlling everything. I mean in this movie, mm-hmm. it's clear – and everyone knows it, right? They all kind of go, oh, of course Becky Lehman's winning this pageant because her mom's running this. They're, as we see, all the judges seem to be completely you know, in the shill for this. Mm-hmm. Everyone is is doing this. It's like they – and the entire town is like, well, what are we going to do? What can we do, right? Because they have this wealth and power and entitlement that this needs to happen. And it not only does – you know, they engineer kind of Becky to be like this, mm-hmm. like stereotypical, like kind of like shameless, like beauty pageant contestant who's like saying answers that feel like it's like a script written for her. None of this feels like a real personality. It's just like a put upon thing. It's like we now have to then purposefully get rid of anybody that seems like it could possibly be even a small bit of a threat. But why do they have to do that if they've already paid off the judges and like done all right? That's my question. Like, first off, the movie just makes no sense in that way. So I think the so the specific people that they kill, right? So there's Tammy, but there seems to be a different reason Tammy is killed. Not that they think she's gonna win the pageant, but she beat Becky to be the head of the gun club. Right? The, the, the Lutheran, Lutheran Gun Club. Yes, I, the Lutheran, that, yes. the Lutherans Girls <laughs> School Gun Club or something like that, yeah. where Becky became the vice president and Tammy was the president. So I think that's where they're really doing it. But they clearly view Amber as mm-hmm. a real threat, as they should, because Amber genuinely seems immensely talented and yeah. nice. And the way that they set up Kirsten Dunst's character is kind of a little bit kind of like she is the ultimate quote-unquote good girl, right? It, she's just like perfect and genuine. And it's supposed to be genuine. This isn't her trying to put on an act to win this pageant. This is just who she is. It, it's like the, you know, the idea of like, why do you have to when you paid off all the judges? Because you just can't, you know, help yourselves. And I think there's a socioeconomic element to it as well. I think there's this idea that how could this poor girl, right, who comes from a lo- lower class, I'm putting that in air quotes, possibly beat our darling, you know, rich little girl, this can't happen. The, the way the world works is this. But except for the film, really loving the character of Amber. And I think a lot of that also comes through. Kirsten Dunst is remarkable in this movie. And you can't help but fall in love with her from the moment she's first on screen. But the movie also doesn't seem, though, to care about any of these other... Like, yes, she lives in a trailer park, but there's jokes about trailer parks in here. There's still jokes about how the other parents are clueless about things. None of the other girls are talented or remarkable in any way. I feel that just over and over again, it punches down on all of these characters in a way that I don't believe, okay, fine, the writer might have grown up in this town, but there's no sort of like, I loved the people in this town. It's more, I hated my small town and I hated the people in here. And I'm going to maybe put myself in the protagonist's shoes of like the one person who should get out and everyone else I'm just going to make jokes about. It's also supposed to be a very small town. So the mm-hmm. idea that there would be multiple people that are somehow unbelievably talented, I mean, it would be hard to imagine necessarily, but it's it's possible, right? But the idea that, like, okay, these are the people that are just kind of there. I actually think it has – I think it has a care for, like, Brittany Murphy, 
who seems to have this very sweet relationship with her brother, that she goes to New York. She is clearly obsessed with New York and Broadway, and she went to New York once and now is suddenly, like, you know, in love with it, which is adorable. And they have a. The running joke, though, is just that she laughs at inappropriate times. Like, she doesn't really have a character beyond, you know, doing something nice for Kirsten Dunst at the end. Amy Adams' character just revolves around the fact that she and her boyfriend are horny all of the time. The other character just does Soylent Green monologues, like which is a very funny bit. Yeah, I really love book. that performance. It's like, great. And the movie is peppered with really funny one-liners. Like, I definitely laughed a lot in this movie, but I think more kind of the one-off things that it does rather than some of the central ideas of the movie. That's why I would say it reminds me of something like Parks and Rec in the sense of, again, Pawnee, Indiana is supposed to be a small town, and it's like, here's the kooky characters that all live here. Mm. Now, Parks and Rec is also a television show. It has the ability to then expound out its world and have much yeah. more of like a time that we learn a lot more about these you know characters mm-hmm. and kookiness. But I think Drop Dead Gorgeous has that similar idea of like, I, I think they don't always have all these characters because in the end they are focusing on the amber kind of like trajectory versus the lemons and you know everything i would also say with amy adams i think her relationship with her boyfriend is actually very adorable because they seem he genuinely mm-hmm. seems like every they cut him several times and he seems like kind of like a football but he is there at the pa- he is cheering her on he is so excited like they seem genuinely they can't keep their hands off each other but they genuinely seem like they're this kind of like relationship where it's like yeah let's go but then it punches down of all of these jokes about like how stupid they are right like she doesn't understand what second runner-up means they ask if she's nervous about the pageant and she confesses to being pregnant because she doesn't understand what the quest like I wish I could see this movie through your eyes, Ross, because I wish I could see, because to me, everything that you are saying about this is like, I don't see that in the movie. I don't see the movie doing that. I see you connecting dots to the movie that I don't think the movie is interested in, or perhaps smart enough to be saying, right? Good, good satire. Let's think about like, um, we just talked about South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut a few weeks ago, right? That's a movie that punches at systems, right? Satire is best when it is punching at systems and the public sphere, right? That movie does not make fun of the moms. It does not really make fun of the kids, right? We're not supposed to like Cartman, but we don't like Cartman because of what he's representing in the world versus who he actually is. Is to me, this movie is not interested in those big picture ideas. It is more worried about making fun of stupid high school girls. And I wish I could see the structural satire that you find in this movie. Well, I wonder if that's also because you have a creative team, right? That is, this is their first stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Lona Williams, this is her first feature film script, right? Uh, Michael Patrick Jan, this is his first feature film. He had worked as like a segment director on The State for 27 episodes, which great, you know, mid-90s sketch show. And neither one of them really do much after this. Lona mm-hmm. Williams, you know, uh, worked on the movie Sugar and Spice, but basically takes her name off it. After, she, she, you know. she wrote it um, and then, yeah, uses a pseudonym because she felt that the studio like made the film too mild that it um it didn't push the envelope as much as she wanted and she only works on two other screenplays like in some ways she has additional dialogue on the classic animated film shark tale and uh she gets a writing credit on scout's guide to the zombie apocalypse and michael patrick jan doesn't direct another feature film until this year with a movie called oregon trail i could not tell you anything else about this movie i didn't even know it existed until basically doing stuff for this movie so it's it's kind of odd and i wonder if that's part of the problem because the cast is all giving i i do i think kirstie alley in this movie is so good she is Mm -hmm. so funny and you know this is kind of towards the end of her being in like a lot of movies yeah she's on veronica's closet at this point right like so she's kind of in her second 
hit TV show. Yeah. Um, and, you know, th- she's following this up with, like, from For Richer or Poorer, which was like a Tim Allen comedy she had done in 97, and Nevada and Deconstructing Harry. But it's not much. I mean, the big person in this movie, right, who's having – well, I guess the two people that are having the biggest years of this is Kirsten Dunst and Denise Richards, right? Kirsten Dunst, this is mm-hmm. the same year as Virgin Suicides, you know, mm-hmm. Sofia Coppola's first film, which is a masterpiece. We will talk a, a bit later. She's also in Dick this year. Mm-hmm. So she is like having like a big year and is obviously coming off of several things. Denise Richards, a Bond girl this year. She's in The World wow. Is Not Enough, which is also <laughs> the thought process that she is on the one hand a high school senior in this movie and a Bond and a girl Bond named girl. Christmas Jones. And this is also, by the way, the year before, she's in Wild Things, like, mm-hmm. which also is a very bizarre double feature to this movie. But the performances, and I think that's what, to me, also helps it. Everybody is doing, I think, really giving it and, and doing it all. But um, I do wonder if it's the first film problem. I don't think Denise Richards is that good in this movie either. I don't think she can handle the comedy of it. I think it works because of who she is and what she looks like. But I wonder if you found a funnier actress. I've never really thought of Denise Richards as, you know, a great comedian. And um, I think she sticks out here. I really like her talent uh, show, the um, (laughs) singing uh, with the giant stuffed Jesus that's but, great. Um, I think that's great. But I think it's it's more the setup of it and the execution than her. Yes. But I think Kirsten Dunst and Brittany Murphy and Amy Adams. Um, Ellen Barkin is really great in this movie in a very non-Ellen Barkin part, yes. I feel. Like, she really uh, is is funny. Even if I didn't really love the gag of, of course, she has, because she's ta- trailer trash, she gets the beer can fused to her hand. Um, didn't love that joke, but I think she's she's really good in this. It's I think Ellen Bark is so good in this movie. The, just to, to, to clarify my Denise Richards thoughts, I think she does what the movie needs her to do. I don't think it requires her to do tons of comedy. I think the comedy comes from she feels so fake. Every Mm -hmm. moment she's on, she knows exactly where the cameras are. She's been like engineered to be like what people believe, what her mom believes it should be a perfect pageant person. So I think to some extent, she is not doing as wacky or as zany or as something, stuff like that. The comedy comes from how fake she feels every moment of this whether it's her going like oh the cameras are here oh hi i didn't know you were going to be here it's it's to me that's what she's needed for i don't think Mm -hmm. she's you know needed to do some of the more wackier and crazier parts to this movie so Mm -hmm. i i would agree with you i don't necessarily think that denise richards is like the greatest comedic actress i just think this movie doesn't need her to be but i do wonder if they got somebody else how different maybe that part would have been yeah, if you got someone who could really sell the being fake versus maybe, I don't know how much of that is is natural or not. But Okay, so Denise Richards aside, Ross, who do they need to be funny in this movie? And who shines for you in this movie the most? D- Trip, to me, this was an easy answer. Um, I-, I did consider a couple other people, but there's really one supporting turn that just every moment they're on screen is a pure delight and it is mm-hmm. national treasure allison janney yep um allison janney in this movie plays ellen barkin's best friend and who ends up kind of taking care of kirsten dunst also as like there's accidents happen to ellen barkin every moment every line delivery mm-hmm. everything that allison janney does in this movie is just pitch perfect gold and yep. crazy thing allison janney when she was interviewed by the AV Club in 2011, mm-hmm. you know, for their uh, their series kind of on random, you know, random roles. She was asked about this movie, and she said this was the movie that she got recognized. This is the thing she gets recognized and gets told the most about, even yep. over the West Wing. She basically said this is the the role that most people go up to. Her. I believe she actually says. She, quote, well, she's iconic, Loretta. I think I get more people coming up to me saying how much they love that movie than any other thing I've done 
even more than West Wing, which is mm-hmm. wild to me. It's it, that's a wild thing, but she, she's so good in this. She also like, I, I feel like she like Kirsten Dunst. Those are the characters who we're supposed to kind of love. Like they give her much more dimension than kind of any other character. And she starts out as a punching bag. And I don't know whether this is just Allison Janney or the script or what, like she comes across as a full fledged human more than I think a lot of other characters. Can we just talk about, so Allison Janney, this is the second time we've talked about her on this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. She steals the sh- scenes in 10 Things I Hate About You. Was she your supporting turn there, maybe? I don't remember. I don't, I um, don't remember, yeah. She steals scenes in here. Uh, a month after this, she premieres on The West Wing and then pops up in a really great supporting turn in this year's Best Picture winner, uh, American Beauty. Like, that is... That is a 1999 to be had and kind of declaring yourself as a major, major force to be reckoned with here. National treasure. National treasure. Allison there we Janney. Go. She is yes. fantastic. I've never seen her bad at anything. She's, no. she's And she's great here. What about you, Trip? Is there a performance that actually did make you laugh or that you did enjoy? I mean, Allison Janney is wonderful. Um, I also just want to shout out Mindy Sterling, who plays um, kind of Kirstie Alley's right-hand woman, only because I think she's very funny in this, especially near the end when she gets something to do. But um, this is the third time we've seen her on this series, Ross. Mindy Sterling. Uh, she is, of course, in the Austin Powers movies as uh, Frau... Barbicina, what, whatever, and uh, and she also had a really small small part in Idle Hands. Yes. So um, this is the third time we have we have seen her pop up in here. So I just had to give a shout out. Um, the one who cracked me up. There's a couple that crack me up every time, and the the real one is. Oh, hold on, I just lost her name. Uh, Mary Gillis, who plays the choreographer Cloris Clayhaven. Oh. She is. So funny of just the past her prime, sit on the chair and smoke and bark orders choreographer, um, who then turns around and has a lovely scene with Kirsten Dunst near the end too. But um, she she cracked me up. Um, I think she she uh oh yeah great absolutely um, yeah she's absolutely hilarious. I very much enjoy it. Is there a scene that you found funny? Is there is there a scene that you want to highlight as so, your funniest moment? For the second week in a row, I almost <laughs> went with vomiting. Because when they all get sick with the shellfish, that's a lot of vomit. And it oh. was kind of funny. But to me, when this film clicked is the end. So the end of the movie, uh, Kirsten Dunst has made it by default twice to the nationals right that from second place in the small town to you know someone dies she takes over and then she's the only one who didn't eat the shellfish so she's the minnesota and they all get to the finals and the company has been closed for tax evasion and it's an empty building and the girls all start a riot to me, it's when the film was finally saying something like, okay, now the satire is finally clicking and you are maybe attacking the people you should have been attacking from the beginning. And I think it's a really clever made moment there. So yeah, that's what, that's what I would say. What about you, Ross? Is there, um, I mean, I oh, and I should, I should, I should also add that the, uh, the riot is also set to, isn't it beautiful dreamer? Isn't that what plays under it? Oh, and, um, just sure. a perfect choice of music, music. There. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh man. But Ross, what's, what's funny for you? Cause I know you're going to have a whole lot of, <laughs> a whole lot a, there... of laundry list here of funny <laughs> moments that I rolled my eyes at. I, I'm sure, uh, two that I would, I would just thought of in my head that were runners up there was a small just line thing of tammy dies because she is riding a tractor that suddenly explodes Mm -hmm. and kirsten dunst is being interviewed in the morgue and she says well everyone knows that tammy just liked riding you know she always wrote it because you know the vibrations helped her think but she never smoked till afterwards (laughs) and it's like this great just kind of like thrown away line that i love and the other is uh there were two scenes with Alexander Holden who plays Mary Johansson, who is the past year's winner, who has clearly suffering from anorexia. She is in a 
kind of still recovery from it, but they force her clearly to keep trotting her out as if this poor girl is not suffering enough. And they have her come out there with the nurse to do a lip sync, which they claim is what her talent was last year. And the nurse is wheeling her around doing the dance number because this poor girl cannot dance. And they just, and the nurse seems to kind of be into it too. And they're just wheeling this poor girl around. And it just was like, it, it got me. But the scene that I actually chose as my funniest moment is again, it's a smaller moment and it involves Alice and Janney. And there is a moment where she is sitting with Kirsten Dunst, who is freaking out. She's freaking out because a light has fallen on another contestant that was supposed to be her. And she is now starting to kind of piece together that maybe there's something here that like seems to be coming after me. And Allison Janney gives her a drink to have. She says, your mom would want you to have this. And she goes, no, she wouldn't. This would be terrible. And Kirsten Dunst finally just goes to her and says, like, you know, you should never have children. And Allison Janney just goes back, Thank, bless you for thinking that I could still have children. <laughs> like, it's just such a great line. It's such a perfectly delivered thing from Allison Janney. It's the quips and just a highlight to me of why this movie works is those kind of sometimes one-liners, just thrown away lines done by performers that are very talented. So to me, it's it's that kind of small. And there was a little bit more to that conversation that got me. That just highlighted it for me, why this movie works. Okay. Um, um, what what does it work, Ross? What is unfunny about this? So, I think we have talked around a, a big part of this movie that I think we'll both agree is not funny at all. But what, what do you say? Absolutely. Um, so past future guest uh, and, and dear friend of the show, uh, Mitchell Bill Prey, also has seen this movie. I will read uh, their letter letterbox review here because it's only two sentences. Honestly, might have gotten a five if it wasn't for that Will Sasso stuff. Such a hoot. Uh, yeah, the Will Sasso of this movie oh, is real bad. It's really bad. And it is so troubling how mm-hmm. uncomfortable it is. Every time he's on screen, the performance is insulting. I think he's the example of this, what you're talking about in this movie, of punching down. It's so terrible. we should say Will Sasso plays the younger brother of one of the three judges, who is um, a grown man with definitely some mental handicaps going on. And the movie does everything it can to make him look a fool at all times. And it is beyond stereotypical. And like, even in 1999 was dated and mean and cruel. Like it is, it's really horrible. Every time he's on screen, it's hard to watch. It's so just, yeah, it is so rough. And And he has to be in like several of these scenes and it's just like every time he pops up, you're like, he oh, doesn't have to be. To. He no. is. There is no reason to have him in the movie. No. Like he adds nothing. There is no plot point that he needs. He is just there in this movie. And then even worse than his performance is the way that everyone around him treats him. Because this movie uses the R word, a word that I'm sorry, as a high schooler in 1999, we all knew was not a word that you used anymore. You know, we used a whole lot of horrible words that we have taken out of our lexicon in the last 25 years. This was already out of the lexicon. They must use that word 20 times in this movie, Ross. It's... It's a bunch and it's it's so uncomfortable. And it's it again, this is the part of the movie that I would say, like, that's where we're in agreement in the sense of like, I yeah. think this is punching down. I think it is absolutely really, really rough. And it comes like every what is clearly meant to be quote unquote jokes, like land like mm-hmm. a lead zeppelin, right? <laughs> yeah. Like to use the, the, the phrase there. Um, it's bad. It's bad. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Trip, is there anything else you want to highlight? Because I know this is more yeah. your category, just like um, the no, I, I mean, that is the red flag to me. Like, that is the epitome of, of what's unfunny in this movie. I disagree with one of your funniest choices. I found everything with Mary Johansson offensive and not funny because, again, I I never got the joke that this is what 
the system created for her. The joke more seemed to be, look how horrible she looks, you know, what she has done. Um, and seemed to think anorexia and what you look like when you're dealing with anorexia or an eating disorder is funny when it's not. Like, she looks so grotesque. I really had a hard time with with that section. There's also one of the kids has been adopted by some Asian American parents. Um, and I can't be more detailed than that because they are just an over-the-top stereotype of Asian accents and, um, you know, tropes that is also really unfunny. That scene was, was painful. Like I just, I found so much of, of punching down on here. Yeah. That, that part also, it's very small in the movie. So to some extent it's, while it is bad, right. It is nowhere near as like pervasive as Will Sasso. And so I think, you know, I definitely agree with you. And maybe the Mary Johansson stuff is exactly as you talked about earlier, kind of in this episode. I, maybe I'm just connecting dots that I'm putting in there and reading yeah. into it that isn't mm-hmm. is it there because I view it as that that she is just this victim of this system. And mm-hmm. I don't think the joke, to, or at least to me, the jokes or what I found funny was not that look at how bad she looks because I actually don't think she's like that bad in the sense of like she's a person who's recovering from debilitating things to me the jokes are more that how she is being used in the sense of that how corrupt this whole system is that they're still going to trot this poor person out but the movie but the movie just parades her out right and so if you're really going to satirize that why is she being paraded out there right show us the discussion where like they are making the argument for it right as i said this that's maybe why i'm making more dots than what the you know you you are which is um, possible. It's fine. Yeah. There's also a running joke about how excited they all are to be on Cops that um, I think dates itself not only from being 1999, but if you haven't listened to um, Dan Taberski's podcast series about the TV show Cops and all of the damage that it did to communities like this, uh, doesn't play as well in 2023 as it might have in 1999. So. The only thing I would point out, which I'm surprised you didn't point out, which... It's definitely, it's towing a line that you're like, well, this could really, it it depends on this, is one of the judges. Oh, the um, Matt Malloy stuff. stuff Is like, that could be, again, it's towing a line. It is towing a line. I'm sorry, I missed that in my laundry list of handwritten (laughs) notes here. I guess I skipped over that one. Yeah, Matt Malloy as the the creepy judge. um, Yes, who seems to just be i'm just here to watch dance practice don't mind me <laughs> like, yeah i guess at least that i don't know it it didn't bother me as much as some of the other stuff because again um punching down on pedophiles does not bother me too much <laughs> ross like really um and again i understand where that systemic problem is yes i guess I had think... they explained why he had to be a judge it might have been better yes but um that that didn't bother me as as i think as much as the other stuff it stops as i said it's a fine line that it's walking and yeah and i think it it goes up to the line without it having to go fully over it and i think he, that's does, he doesn't just go walking through a dressing room of naked you know yes teenagers at any point you know yeah it, it that they could have gone a lot worse i think with how they did but they again it's like we're gonna go up to the line mm-hmm. we're gonna clearly implicate things but we know where the line is and we're not gonna like go too far so i think that's why again it's uncomfortable i did have it listed in there yeah but i think i wrote that down early and then as the movie went along i was like okay they're they're not crossing the line here yeah so uh so now we get to the part of the show where uh again you get to play the home version of this this lovely podcast uh what did critics and audiences think of this movie so trip what do you think the rotten tomatoes score the average critic score for this movie is okay so i think rotten tomatoes is going to be more my thoughts and letterbox is going to be more your thoughts because my understanding of this movie was like this was a punching bag in 1999 when it came out that everyone thought it was bad and stupid and no one went to see it and then it kind of developed a life as a cult film through the years and now everybody but me seems to love it 
So I'm going to say the Rotten Tomatoes score is rotten, and it is at 40%. Shout out your answers now, people at home. Yeah, you're close. You are close. Okay. It is 47%. So it's a little okay. mm-hmm. little more liked than, than it, but, but you are correct in the sense that- Rotten Tomatoes also sometimes brings in more, um, you know, like yes. revisiting uh, reviews from, you know- our modern times so maybe absolutely that up and too. and again this movie as you just said it flops i mean it has a budget of about 15 million dollars according to box office mojo and it makes about 10 and a half so yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't it does not do well uh yeah and critics uh not not very happy with it Desson Howe of the Washington Post wrote, unless someone comes up with particularly inspired material, it's just not that bone tickingly hilarious to watch, quote, small town people, unquote, being, quote, overly religious, unquote, talking to talking in, quote, Minnesota accents, unquote, and showing us America at its, quote, small town funniest, unquote. Can we talk about those accents? Because yeah. every person in this movie has a different accent and they come and go throughout the movie. Half of them went for the Minnesota accent. Half of them didn't. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ebert gave it two stars. And he said both. So he was comparing it to a, uh, I believe it was a TV movie in uh, the 70s that was, you know, something a little bit more, or maybe it was even in the 90s. It's called The Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. Yeah, that was early 90s. It's uh, Holly Hunter as the mom, I think. Ah, um, okay. Won a bunch of awards. I've never seen it, but I've heard really, really good things. About yeah, it. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. So he, in his two-star review, he said, both films are savage, but Cheerleader Murdering Mom was rich in human nature, while Drop Dead Gorgeous simply manipulates the ideas of satire without connecting the underlying truth. So kind of what you're saying, right? Where Roger it's like, Ebert, smart man. <laughs> Roger Ebert kind of knows what he's doing with these things. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to give at least a small positive thing, Edward Guthman of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote, Gorgeous has claws and manages to stick them in all the right places. So, there, okay. But yes, on the whole, critics do not seem to really no. go for it. Now, the letterbox, what do you think the fine users of letterbox think of this movie? I don't know. For all I know, this could be in like the letterbox top two fifty, and I haven't realized that. Like, I don't know. I I I don't get it, Ross. But um, I'm gonna hope that it's like I don't a three point five somewhere in there. People, shout out your answers uh, now at, at things. Uh, Trip, you're actually too low. Of course, I am. It is a three point eight, which oh. actually surprised me as well. Yeah, because that's really. I, and look, as a person who likes this movie right Mm -hmm. it did surprise me that it was even this high because i would have thought based off of how it did when it came out that the audience like i was thinking before i looked it up i was like ah you know probably like low threes there's people Mm -hmm. that really like it right and it is that cult film but i Mm -hmm. don't think there's enough people to kind of like push it shockingly that's one of the highest letterbox scores we've seen for one of these movies and that yeah um, that makes uh, me sad it is it look again as coming from a person who even likes it yes it's shocking to me as well so this movie comes out july 23rd 1999 as we said it doesn't do well at the box office it comes out the same year as the remake of the haunting uh matthew broderick's inspector gadget trick and my life so far trip would you have seen any of these movies i don't think so i don't think i saw any of these um, that weekend. So who knows? Uh, Maybe see, I went that, on vacation. This it's summer, right? Yeah. I was off on vacation. There see, that's again. This is where I show my age. I absolutely saw Inspector Gadget in the theaters as a kid who liked Inspector Gadget. You know, because they used to show reruns on Nickelodeon. I was absolutely excited for that movie. I I I don't remember how I fully thought about it, but I'm I'm guessing it's not something that would hold up super well. Um, the top five this week weekend also included american pie at three and big daddy at five and the wood man. is in the top 10 it's at nine okay awesome. so, so man big daddy just hold, this is like a month into its run and it's just holding yeah. on there that that movie was big daddy was and huge a, big daddy and american pie doing very well for itself yeah so ross what uh what goes with this movie what would you recommend so i will say this the movie i'm choosing several people in their reviews I think also pointed to 
this kind of this movie and several others that were these mockumentaries that were coming out that were much better. Mm-hmm. And I will also say for for the listeners at home, this is absolutely I know for a hundred and ten percent this is a Trip Burton pick right here. And yeah. I knew when I put this on there, I was like, Trip's gonna hate me because he's gonna sit there and be like, Ah, you took a ah. and that is Waiting for Guffman, which is Christopher yeah. Guest's film, also a mockumentary, also about a small town and about a local pageant that is being created. Um, a mm-hmm. you know this historical pageant that they're making. Uh, it is funny. It is great. It is another kind of reason why a mockumentary you know, style can work really well. And Christopher Guest is maybe the king of mockumentaries. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. he, he is truly uh, brilliant at collecting a great group of people that know how to improvise and can kind of play off each other and create kind of these quirky characters in small towns that don't feel like they're mm-hmm. punching down, but that they are just kind of these unique, interesting people <laughs> that just got to populate this world. Look, the like iconic criticism of Christopher Guest movies is people saying that he does not like his characters and that he is mean to his characters. And those people are blatantly wrong. <laughs> Waiting for Guffman shows he loves each of these wacky small town characters so much. Um, the actors love the characters that they are playing in these movies and they give them so much life so do watch waiting for guffman watch drop dead gorgeous and see the difference between them because i think one is a celebration and one is a uh degradation of of small town arts so you know it's uh again you can't go wrong with most christopher guest movies so just you know Go check them out. What about you, Trip? What are you pairing uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous with? Maybe to kind of cleanse your palate, yeah. to feel better about yourself. I'm I'm guessing another movie that probably came up in a whole lot of reviews of this movie at the time, and that is Michael Ritchie's Smile from 1975, which is also a satire of beauty pageants. This is about the young American Miss pageant. It is a satire of that. It is a satire of beauty pageants that punches at the systems all the time. That this is a movie that uses beauty pageants as a representation for everything that is wrong with America. It stars uh, Bruce Dern as Big Bob, the car salesman who runs this pageant. Who um, this movie came out the same time as Nashville, and feels very similar in in some ways. And he feels very much like he walked out of Nashville. Um, but the problems with this are all in about the way that we create these patterns, what is wrong with America, and the system that leads to the degradation, kind of, of the women in these pageants and. There's a young Melanie Griffith, is uh, a young Annette O'Toole, a young Colleen Camp. Um, the girl who plays Violet in Willy Wonka, the 70s one, pops up in here. Um, like, it's some really great, uh, great actresses who kind of pop up in here. But it's satire done right. Um, I... And it's, a, it's also, I think, a mean movie, but it is mean to America and what that was in the 1970s and not to these people just trying to live a better life through beauty pageants i i mean you're using a lot of buzzwords that make me excited i like nashville (laughs) the movie i like bruce dern i like melanie griffith like this is all this is all like you know doing this uh I did try to find because I I saw you put this down as your pick. Yeah, hard it is to like find. Impos- yeah, impossible yeah. to find. Mm-hmm. Of course it is because yeah. streaming Aaron, you know, needs to get better with some of this. Yes. Stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you have to run Drop Dead Gorgeous at your library, look for Smile too, and it could be a double feature of you know library yeah. DVDs. So absolutely. So Trip, you're looking at your letterbox. You see those gray stars. What is the final rating that you are giving this movie? You know. 
I laughed at this movie more than I think I'm making it sound that I think the one-liners in this movie are really good. And there are some very funny moments in here overall, though. I just don't think this movie works. I'll, I'll give it a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for the parts that I enjoyed. I'll go two and a half stars on this, but it is yeah, n- not one that I'm going to revisit at any point. I don't think. Uh, what about you? So, I'm obviously much higher, but it's funny in my head as you were talking, I'm thinking because I we've talked off off mic about this, and I knew where you were kind of like debating in terms of you know the 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 wide range that you could have gone to this. And as you were talking, I'm in my head going two and a half stars. I feel like that's where he's going to end up going. And I was like, there Uh we go, nailed it. I'm becoming predictable, Ross. No, no, you're not becoming predictable at all. I had no idea how you were going to react to this movie, to be honest. I obviously like it a lot more, and as I read Mitchell's review earlier, I'm actually just in line with them. I give it four stars. I think it's very funny. It's stuff that the one-liners are just so good to me. It is such a very fun film for me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, again, it's a movie that, unfortunately, most of our listeners, it will be harder to find, and it will be one that you really have to see- seek out. It was streaming for a while, though, I feel. Yes. In the pandemic, it got streaming, and I heard people talking about it. So There was a big deal made of it when it got The rights are definitely out there, and maybe it'll pop up on on some somewhere soon. Yeah, it was was absolutely one that – there was a big deal when it suddenly got onto streaming for like a hot second because it it has been this movie that for one reason or another, it's just been Mm -hmm. very hard – to find and it's not even rentable it's not even you know like on digital it's not yep. you know able to I, I will also make a pitch right here to criterion that i think spile would be a great uh criterion disc there and that they should uh push that one because i think that's a movie i think if people discovered it would really would really enjoy so as a person who's interested in seeing it please do <laughs> i'd like to see it yep. so so trip next week we are not going too far away from kirsten dunst we are going Ooh. with her other comedy that came out that year, and that is the movie Dick. It is available to rent on Amazon and Apple TV, or you could find it at your local library on DVD because we support mm-hmm. local libraries and physical media. So, Trip, is this a movie that you remember, that you know anything about? Oh, of course. I saw Dick opening weekend, Ross, and not for the reason you probably think. It had nothing to do with the comedy aspect of this or with Kirsten Dunst or Michelle Williams. It was because in high school, Ross, I was obsessed with Watergate. And I went through a period. I knew all of the figures in this. And so I went to see this as a spoof of Watergate. Um, Again, it is Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams as two teenagers who sort of stumble into the Nixon White House and somehow cause all of Watergate and Nixon's resignation to occur. Um, I loved this movie when it came out. And uh, I'm really excited to revisit it because I haven't seen this in like 15 years. But man, this movie rocks. Once again, as you started talking, going, it's not for the reasons you think. And I was going to just suddenly make a joke, like you were a deep Watergate obsessive. And then it was like, nope, that truth had to be true. That's correct. I I also, (laughs) I think, had you asked me in 1999 who my top five favorite actors were, one of them might have been Dan Hedaya. I loved Dan Hedaya. And so him as Richard Nixon was like, yes, like this was. So, yeah. My peers definitely went to see uh, Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams in um, American flag bikinis at the end of the movie. I went for the Watergate deep cuts and to see, you know, who was going to play John Dean and who was going to play Ehrlichman and all of that fun stuff. So Dan Hedaya uh, also, you know, connected to this movie because he also was a big part of Cheers along with Kirsten. Yes, Alley. there we go. Of course. Uh, Dan so. Hedaya, great. So, yeah. Trip, where could people reach out to you if they want to either agree with your takes on this movie or let you have it for this movie. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> so I'm out there on, uh, on uh, X and blue sky, mostly at trip Burton 13. I'm also on letterboxd at trip Burton. Where are you Ross? Uh, so you can find me on X threads, blue sky letterboxd all at R Bratton uh, and trip. 
we have another podcast episode that's coming out probably either around the time this is or maybe it's already come out. But we are both going to appear as guests on another podcast, which is kind of crazy. It is. I don't think we wished everybody a happy Thanksgiving, first off, Ross. We did not. Because it is Thanksgiving <laughs> today when this episode comes out. So happy Thanksgiving. And if you're traveling, if you need something to cover, you know, your your commutes to and from family, or if you just need to shut yourself away from your family for a couple hours, um, we do. We are on the Directors Club podcast, a podcast I think we both really love. Yeah. Uh, and so excited. They, in, they invited us on. We are talking the filmography of Frank Oz, one of our great studio comedy directors, I think. So we've both been having a lot of fun looking at uh, his filmography it's a really great discussion. I encourage you to check it out. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, Frank Oz made some absolutely masterful films. And, uh, and a thing that we both also love, he is outside of Jim Henson, probably the other most important person in the history of the Muppets. Yeah. Definitely. Like, so. He's such an impactful person in so many ways. Um, so yeah, uh, check that out. And again, also, uh, if you haven't listened to Tripp's appearance on the Great American Pop Culture Quiz Show, yeah. uh, again, it's Thanksgiving. You've got some time. You're traveling. You know, I'm not going to reveal what happened. You should listen <laughs> to it yourself. But yeah, it's a it's a great episode. Um, and where can they reach the show if they want to reach out to us? The show, uh, you can email us a trip through comedy at gmail.com. That's trip with two Ps. You can also find us on social media at ATTC pod. We're on Instagram and X and blue sky. And um, we have a threads account. It really only gets used when Ross, um, I don't know, threads at it or whatever, whatever you call a post on threads. But um, I believe it's a thread. Yes. I, I'm glad we finally got it because I got tired of trying to like type out the whole thing and I have a, a limit on that. There we go. Um, okay. Yes, our theme music is So Alive, instrumental by John Worthy Music. You can find his work wherever you listen to music or the free music archives. And as always, we'll see you farther along down the road. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. I shoved your tap shoes in my panties before I was blown out of the house. You go find the guy who cut them off.